everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Mastermind Strength and Conditioning Podcast. Today will be our third episode within our series looking at the current state of strength and conditioning. For this episode, we got the opportunity to speak with Coach George Green of Stony Brook University. Coach Green is currently the Assistant Athletic Director for Sports Performance at Stony Brook. Coach Green came with a wealth of knowledge and experience. One of the biggest pieces of the conversation that is different from other ones we've recorded so far is that Coach Green preaches to his interns of other possibilities outside the world of collegiate strength and conditioning. It's a great episode and hope all you enjoy it. Here we go. How are you being on the show today? Good. How about yourself? Thanks, John. Very well. Awesome, man. Appreciate you coming on, man. I know kind of random email I sent you out asking you to be on the show. Kind of appreciate you responding and uh, getting this going with me. You got it, man. Happy to be here. Thanks again for having me. For everyone listening, you mind just giving a little bit of background where you're currently at and uh, how you got into the profession a little bit? Sure. So uh, I'm currently Assistant Athletic Director for Athletic Performance at Stony Brook University, uh, Division One School on Long Island, New York. Um, it really come full circle. I actually grew up on Long Island, but started my career at the University of Iowa as an intern. I uh, was fortunate. You asked how I got into the profession. Uh, my One of my college strength coaches um, was an assistant strength coach at Iowa. And I was fortunate to get the internship out there after she had moved on. Her name is Mary Kate Fight. Uh, she moved on to Iowa when I was at Springfield. Um, so I, I kind of started my career there, which was really where I kind of realized this is, you know, no brainer. This is the profession I need to be in. Um, from Iowa, I worked in the private sector. Uh, excuse me. I, I, I was an intern at UMass for a paid intern for a year. I worked for a year in the private sector um, and then I went back to UMass full time as an assistant director for three years. Um, and then I had a stint uh, training special operations soldiers down at Fort Bragg, not too far from where you are. Um, and then I, from there, I was the director of strength and conditioning at the University of Mary Washington in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I was the first strength coach in school history, so I really got a unique opportunity uh, in that environment. And uh, from there, I got the job here at Stony Brook. I'm going into my fourth year there. My fourth year here at Stony Brook. I absolutely love my job. I get to you know do what I love every single day, so fortunate to be here. That's awesome, man. Your career is taking you a little bit everywhere from private sector to military to division one to division three for, um, yep. Yep. That, that's awesome. man. I'm really excited you're having the show. I feel like you're going to bring a lot of value on for what we're going to be talking about today. So we're still continuing the series today on the current state of strength and conditioning. So as long as you want to elaborate on what is your current view of the state of strength and conditioning right now? Yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a couple ways you can go with this. I think it's a great time to be in the profession. I also think there's some challenges that we that we face um, as a profession as well. I think the good, the great about the job is um, there's more and more jobs opening, right? Like I think there's you, you, more and more high school strength and conditioning positions I see popping up, uh, which is a completely untapped market. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're starting to see a lot more tactical jobs open, and there's some stability with those. Um, you know, in terms of that that's not as new as it was like five or six years ago. That was brand new. Now they've done it. They've seen it and they've, they've, they've proven the value in it. So I think you're seeing more and more of those pop up. Um, the collegiate professional environment is as competitive, if not more competitive than it ever has been. Um, I think that's, if you ask me the biggest challenge of the profession, I think for young coaches, it's, it's surviving long enough to get the job in financially and you know, more or less emotionally too. Like, you know, at a certain point at 25, 26, 27, you're dying for the job. And a lot of people are still interning, volunteering, GAing for a second time. Um, you know, so that's probably one of the biggest challenges of the profession. So I think the profession is in a lot of ways evolved and is growing. And I think there's there's been some positive changes to it in, in, in terms of, 
more positions being available. And I think the value in the strength coach has increased significantly, even just in the you know decade or so that I've been doing this. You know, I think the, the, the pay has gotten better, especially at the highest level. I think the next step is kind of getting that to grow and, and, and evolve at the lower level positions and the entry level positions to, to make it a little bit more realistic for people to live and uh, survive really um, in, in terms of, in terms of salaries, just from the you know, first year assistant and you know, even GAs. That's awesome. Yeah. I think you're one of the first coaches who uh, mentioned like all the different uh, avenues to go down. I think since most of the coaches I've talked to previously on this series have been collegiate. So it's kind of like, Oh, you have your division one, your division two and three. I think we forget of all the opportunities there are in the private sector and definitely on the tactical. You kept uh, saying how there's more jobs than ever. Do you still think that there is an oversaturation in the um, profession, even with the increase in opportunity or jobs, or do you think it's just a lack of people really having the education or understanding of all these different avenues they can go down? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think there's an, there's an oversaturation of coaches that want to work in the college environment. Like there's been new jobs added, but they haven't added universities, right? Like it's the yep. same in schools, but it's this, it's reality is there's this more people that want to do this job trying to get the same jobs. Um, you know, so I think not to say that you shouldn't want to work in the college environment. I work there now and I absolutely love the demographic I work with. I, 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 I love it. Um, but I think at the same time too, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing for, for a coach who may be struggling to get their foot in the door to volunteer and also work full time or part time at a private facility or, you know, pursue a military or a high school job that might not be as attractive to them in terms of like their long term, but might help pay the bills, might help get get your real experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and my, my route was a little bit non-traditional. You know, I didn't go from intern to GA or multiple internships to GA. I went from intern to a paid intern to private sector to, to full time and then did my master's over time while I was already working as a full time coach. Um, and the best part of, from that standpoint for me, and again, that didn't happen. I, I, would, I didn't have a crystal ball. I didn't say this is what I want to do. That just kind of happened for me organically. Yep. I was able to save some money as a private sector coach instead of you know, spending every dollar I had on doing internships around the country and being a GA. That allowed me to kind of take a risk or take a job that didn't pay as much because I had a little bit of a cushion walking into it because I had a salary position in the private sector. So I think looking at things – in a non-traditional way since our field is non-traditional sometimes mm-hmm. helps you in the long run awesome with working with your interns do you encourage them i know we I, we've all been through the intern route of those long hours it seems like even as an intern you're working full-time hours sometimes and depending on your position you're at do you encourage them to either volunteer at other places or try to get like a high school job or work in the private sector while working with you and how do you kind of navigate them through the different levels because currently I just finished writing up our curriculum for our intern I've taken it over and I've never thought of actually explaining the other avenues to go down it's always been like collegiate this is how we do things and then go through your typical curriculum you would with your interns yeah and I think it depends on the intern too so like we have a combination of 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 folks that are either what are full-time interns that are doing it for class credit? If no, I, for them, they're, they're 40 to 50 hours a week, whatever it is, with us as class credit. And they really that, that, that role is to really learn the job, really see the ins and outs, the day-to-day, get an understanding of programming and how you go about your business. Those That's a little bit different. But the the ones that like don't have a, 
a place to go after. Like, let's say we have a 400-hour intern who's coming here from another school that has an internship, but they live in the area. You know, I've had several that have expressed interest in staying. Those are ones that we look at and say, listen, like, it's great you want to stay. Let's pair you up with one or two teams exclusively. You'll assist that coach with those teams. And then let's use our relationships within the community and the private sector to help find you another job. Um, and then you get the boast of both worlds. You get to say, you're, hey, I, I, I'm doing an internship or I'm a, a volunteer assistant at Stony Brook. But you also might make 20 or 25 bucks an hour or whatever the case might be working at a private facility or a personal training gym or whatever the case is um, to help offset. You know, because it's not realistic for continue to volunteer everywhere long term if you have if you don't land a job. Nope. Uh, and we've had we've had a lot of people in that situation, some of which it's it's, you know, two of which are full time employees on my staff now um, who were interns, um, you know, undergraduate interns stuck around, worked in the private facility, worked as a personal trainer. People left and moved on. They were in the right place at the right time. So like, there's a there's value in that sometimes as well. No, absolutely. I think it's an awesome idea. Not only like they can take what they're learning through the internship, but then they get that practical hands-on coaching that you really don't get until possibly either a paid internship or a GA, and maybe even those is more not autonomous as you'd want it to be. Sure. So that's awesome. Uh, kind of switching gears a little bit as we've just talked about the current profession, how do you feel it's going? Is it in a negative place? Is it in a positive place? Are we kind of stuck in this kind of limbo? How, what's your current view on that? You know, I, I think my – and I've, you hear horror stories. I, I feel like my, my journey in transitioning has been, has been mostly positive. Um, and I think a lot of the challenges we face are due in part to people not really sure how to evaluate us. I think that's number one. I think that's a challenge. And I think a lot of coaches would say the same thing. So who you report to and, and ultimately how that person views you kind of shapes how your you view the profession. So, a lot of the horror stories you hear are, hey, I, I report to a sport coach and they literally just want me to be, you know, the person that, you know, makes them run and, and, and you know, and, and, and gets micromanaged by that coach. And they, they want to kind of run the workouts. You're just kind of the, the person that's in the weight room or an AD who, you know, you report to an AD who may or may not ever step foot, you know, in your weight room or really understand what you do. Um, you know, so that's sometimes a challenge. So I think our job as a profession is to continue to educate the people who do evaluate us, who do uh, who do oversee us, uh, to and share what we do as as a profession. Um, and and I've been fortunate, you know, as a director, I've been at Mary Washington here, and I've had two ads um, right now. I work for Sean Hilbrin, who's been here for five years, an unbelievable ad and boss who values the role that we have here and understands it. So like, I'll sit down with him and share with him numbers. I'll share with him statistics but you, and, and give him things that he can utilize with fundraisers. Hey, like, look at, look at the growth we've had from a nutrition standpoint. Look at the growth that we've had from a uh, strength and performance standpoint. If you give a donation, the, the sports science technology or this the training table funding could help us grow and get better and, and lead to more wins he has an understanding of what that value is in terms of our impact on the student athletes. The, the, the AD I had at the university of Mary Washington, uh, you know, he, he understood that, especially at the division three level, you know, I saw those athletes year round off season um, was with them a ton. You know, I touched every athlete that came to the program. My first year there, I was the only strength coach, mm -hmm. you know, so he relied on me more to get a pulse on the department. Where, where, where are we? Do our athletes, how are athletes, you know, view what we're doing here like what is so he so he you know kind of tapped into 
me as a resource for him, you know, to, to kind of get an idea of where we, where we were. So I've been very fortunate. I've had great ADs, but I think as a profession, we've got to continue to show what our value is and like what really, what are things that we can quantify to show our impact on the department, whether it's on injury prevention, um, whether it's on, um, you know, athletes, you know, physically changing their bodies, things of that nature. But, you know, so I, I think, but that's the challenge is who evaluates us? What are they evaluating us on? Um, and do they really see our value or are we just another box to check? I think that's what we have to continue to grow and evolve. No, I agree with you hundred percent. Actually, um, evaluating our profession is, uh, one of the next series we're getting on. So we might have to link up again and go over that. In terms of having your director down there, I kind of want to touch on this. Is it kind of like an open door policy? Does he kind of leave you alone unless there's an issue or you could talk on it briefly? Like how much involved is he in strength and conditioning at Stony Brook? Uh, he, so he's allows me to do my job. I, w- I wouldn't say he's, he's, he doesn't know what's going on as an AD. Like he's, he's hands on with every, 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 really everybody in the department in a positive way. He, he likes to know what's going on. He's a, he's an extremely positive guy and he likes to hear like the updates and things of that nature. But I'm fortunate to sit on his senior staff. So I meet with him once a week, uh, or actually twice a week, once is in a big group, uh, um, in our management team meetings. And then we also have a, a smaller group that meets every Wednesday. Um, and I have the opportunity to discuss updates in my area. Um, so little things like, you know, hey, this is where we are from a nutrition standpoint. We've started the fueling station. These are the things we're doing. Um, and then other things as well where I could talk highly about my other my staff. So, you know, when we're we're looking to kind of move somebody up, hey, who's next in line for a promotion? Who, who do we need to keep here that's done a really good job as an intern? I have an opportunity twice a week to really kind of share those things with him, which might be rare in our profession. So I value that. Um, but he's in no way, shape or form a, a guy that's going to try and micromanage what we do. Um, but he, he's involved in the, in the, in the right way. Like right. He's there to support us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great though. That like he's involved, but lets you do your job. I mean, some people I've talked to, it's kind of like they never come down. They're never around here. And then an issue blows up. They want to try to like micromanage and fix everything real quick. I think it's awesome. The relationship you have right now yeah. talking to one thing you mentioned about being on the senior staff. Do you think that's another reason why you have such a positive experience currently at Stony Brook is that you kind of have more of that seat at the upper echelon table where decisions are made and people are discussing how things should be run. Yes. That's, that's, that's been, that's been huge. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been great for me to learn more too, you know, Mm -hmm. and and this is a role that I've had for a couple of years, but even now you kind of sometimes listening more than talking is a positive in those meetings. And I've been able to sit back and, and pay attention to some of the things that, that, that go on that help a department run, which has just been helpful for me as a, as a, as a manager and a, and a leader for my own staff. Um, but that's been helpful for me, like I said, is to be able to advocate and have an advocate for us um, uh, in, in those conversations related to strength and conditioning. Awesome. Did you push for that to be on that staff or was it kind of something that just happened organically the time you've been there? Really kind of happened organically the time we've been here and the, the way it was run when I got here, there was um, a couple layers to it. Um, mm-hmm. there, was a, uh, there was a management team, an executive team, and then a leadership council, um, and then uh, over. And I initially was on the management team, and then over time, I uh, was asked to be on the executive team. And then in the, in the last six months or so, I was brought on to a, the leadership council. And I think that's just been over time being able to, you know, have conversations with with our with our senior staff and be involved in bigger picture projects. You know, we've in the last three years we've added we've added training table, we've added um, a fueling station, we've added a number of big picture department 
initiatives that required multiple people working together. So I had opportunities to work with, you know, the development department that were fundraisers geared, you know, that were gearing towards how do we get more money to help with this particular initiative. So I was able to have some conversations with those folks who then I think probably more or less advocated for me to be a part of um, some of these other areas. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's definitely something me and uh, our assistant were talking about is kind of like how to, how do we get better? How do we improve? And one thing we kept talking about was like trying to get to that more administration level, getting that seat at that maybe big boys table, if you want to call it that, and really be part of the decision making and kind of show our value. So that's awesome. You guys are implementing that down there. Yeah. All right. no, fortunate. That's awesome. So kind of to save the last question for last, hopefully it's um, kind of the more um, personal one, but um. Currently where you're at, you've been lots of places. You've done many things, private sector, tactical, different levels. If you just got out of your undergrad today or graduated this past May, would you start over again in strength and conditioning, knowing what you know now about the profession, knowing the route you had to take to get to where you are now? Yes, 100%. 100% I would. Um, you know, I, I, I think I've heard a lot of people say something similar. I don't know that I have three or four things that I would consider doing professionally. Um, you know, as a, as an undergrad and, and going into college, you know, I went to Springfield college, which has a, a great reputation for strength and conditioning. Um, but I didn't even know it exists as a, as a profession until I was an athlete and had strength coaches and realized that this is what they were going to school for. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so for me, I realized it relatively early as a freshman in college that this is an area that I would love to uh, pursue. But I also knew myself. And, you know, traditionally, I was extremely successful in things that I loved and I had passion for. Um, but contrary, like, and the opposite side of that, in, in, in college, if I were taking a class in Western civilization, it wasn't, I had no, there was no passion for, for, for me. So I struggled in classes like that. So for me, I knew as a going into the professional environment, I would really, I would, I would really be more successful in a field that I would that I loved versus chasing money or chasing, um, you know, something else. Like I, there's, there, so for me, there's really nothing else I, I would rather do than be in the job that I'm in. Um, you know, I could, looking back, I, 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 I I thoughts about joining the military. I thought I might be, a, I could see myself as a police officer when I was younger, high school or early in college before I knew this was an option for me. Um, but beyond that, like, this is, this is who I am. This is what I do. I, I grew up in a weight room. Um, you know, my uncle and my, and, and was, uh, was into powerlifting and, and bodybuilding when I was a kid. Um, I started lifting weights in like sixth or seventh grade and haven't stopped. So that's, that's kind of always been part of my life. Now it's just, it's my livelihood. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all have the same story. Love lifting weights. I was, it, it hits so home with me talking about like taking classes like English or my Spanish class, like tanked in, but my exercise physiology, if I have a passion for it, I'm going to, I'm going to succeed at it and do it really well and kind of like immerse myself in it head to toe. And if I'm not, it's just, it's, it's hard for me to get in there. So I, I can definitely sympathize with you on that and know where you're coming from. Yeah, no, it's, um, I know spring. I went to Fitchburg State actually, so I know Springfield pretty well. That Massachusetts area. How was um, being an undergrad there? Their strength and conditioning then. Has it always been kind of that top tier? I know I've hear. I've always been told it's like the skull and bones of strength and conditioning. You you go to Springfield, you pretty much network is fantastic. You get some of the great professors. You get great hands-on experience. Can you kind of just touch on that a little bit of the time that you spent at Springfield as an undergrad and how it prepared you 
for the profession? Absolutely, yeah. I think the, the best part about Springfield being an undergrad there, and not even just in the exercise science or transmissioning department, it's the most, I think, Springfield compared to other schools, everybody is there. Most of the most of the population is a, is a student athlete and in a major that is athletics related, whether it's athletic administration, um, you know, recreation therapy, occupational therapy, PT, athletic training. So you have people that are like minded. So that was that was awesome for me, even just not even realizing that when I first got there. But as you're a sophomore, junior, you're like, wow, everybody's on the same page here. Like everybody's into fitness. Everybody works mm-hmm. out. The gym's packed in the, on campus. Um, so from that side, it was, it was awesome. But I think what they do really well is they mandate an internship, um, two of them. Um, I did two internships. One was supposed to be 90 hours and it ended up being 400. And then I did a 400 hour <laughs> internship. Um, and without those, I mean, I, my internship at UMass, I got hired there full time and I got hired there full time. And, and I say this, and I've been on a couple of these podcasts, you know, my boss at the time, Bob Otrondo hired me when I did not deserve the job. I was 23 years old. Like I had zero collegiate experience in, in terms of programming my own team. And he gave me an opportunity. I would have never, I would have never had if I hadn't made an impression on him as an intern, as somebody that would be worth investing in. Um, so without Springfield mandating me to do that internship, you know, it, this is, 12, 13, 14 years ago now, too, I, I don't know that I would have known that was a path I needed to go down to get into college athletics. I'm sure someone would have told me, but would I, would, mm-hmm. would I, would I, would I have done that as a 400-hour internship for class credit? No. So I think schools that don't have that are really not setting their students up for success in terms of getting a job, which ultimately every school really should hang their hat on. Um, and then just being a, around people and, and – and and I could name, and I don't want to leave anybody out, but Henry Ruggiero, the director of Olympic sports at Utah now, was in my graduating class. Connor Hughes, the football director at, uh, at Army, was in my class. Brian Hess, the director for football at UNC, was in my class. Um, guys I graduated with, people we had classes with, teammates, friends, like, you know, those are the people that lived on my floor. Uh, uh, I could think of a, a hundred others probably if, you, if we had enough time, but yep. that was just in my graduating class. You know, so, you know, you could compound that by the other four years I was there. There's a lot of people in the profession that I shared a dorm with. Um, and I think that was helpful, too, because it was a little bit competitive, too. Like, it was like, okay, who's getting this internship? Who's getting that internship? Yep. Where are they now? You know, it's even now you go back to you go to a conference and it's like, okay, we're with the Springfield kind of mafia. You know, there's six or seven people there that you went to school with that are at Division One schools that are directors, which is crazy. Like, you know, that if you look at it that way, that's like, you know. Harvard or Yale with, you know, business or, or, or law yep. and kind of that pride you have in, in going to school and, and being part of a network. That's how Springfield is. That's um, awesome. And I think that gives you a little weight when you're applying for jobs and, you know, I, you, you go on an interview and everyone's, Oh, you're another Springfield guy. Huh? Like everybody kind of knows that, you know? Yeah. It's the, uh, it's the school. I remember interning my boss, um, he was at UMass Lowell. He was uh, one of the assistants, and he came from Hawaii. And he he was like, dude, if you can get to get to Springfield, try to get a J at Springfield. It was like, that's all I kind of heard about. It was like the great opportunities that you can get from Springfield. Yeah. Kind of spinning off that a little bit, though, because I'm really curious. Um, How have you taken that experience from your undergrad? You said it was very competitive. Like, you kind of bred within each other, kind of like a winning mentality of who's going to get what. How do you kind of bring that to your interns, or do you try to kind of mo- model any of that Springfieldness into your uh, – Oh my God, I was going to say company. That's not what I want to say. Uh, department at Stony Brook. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that happens by nature. We've had a lot. We've been fortunate. We've had we've had a lot of interns, um, some of which have come from Springfield, um, you know, some of which have come from local schools here. And again, I think the cream rises to the top. You know, three summers ago now, or two or three years ago now, we had probably the best intern class we've ever had. Um, most of which were were really passionate. They 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 really cared about the field. Um, and, and I was fortunate to keep one of them on who is now a full-time assistant for me. Um, and she was the best intern in that class of a group that were all pretty talented. So I think, I think you saw the true colors of people when, you know, and again, this is how sometimes it works with internships that the full-time coaches are going to go and pick out the one they can rely on the most. So, mm -hmm. you know, if we have five interns and there's, there's two that are really good, and three that are not super vocal and, and, and um, you know, take initiative, we're going to pick out the one that we want. Hey, I'm, why don't you give me a hand with uh, basketball? Why don't you take my freshman today? Like, those are opportunities that you don't give to everybody. You give them to the ones that earn it. Yep. And so I think it brings out the best in people ultimately. And whether they know they're competing or they're not, they are. Um, so it really, I think it depends, too, on the people. But I, that's something I think that happens organically. No, that's awesome. I'm a, like I said, I just, I'm in charge now to took over our intern program. So I'm excited to kind of see how these next couple of weeks go and who's the ones that really are going to just set themselves apart with just by either being more willing or more eager or just kind of see kind of how that organic process goes in my own little facility. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes. Yeah. Um, awesome coach. I really appreciate having you on the show today, man. Um, Hopefully I'll be having you on again. I know definitely when we get into the uh, evaluation section, I'll be giving you a call and hopefully you can have on and kind of give us your views and how you guys are doing things with that over in Stony Brook. Sure, man. Happy to do it, man. And thanks again for having me. Awesome. Appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. Have a good one. You got it. You too. Again, I would like to thank Coach Green for coming on today's show. Throughout the first series, it's interesting to see coaches and the similarities and differences between each of their answers given to each of the questions. Don't forget, if you're on iTunes, to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a comment. Next week will be our last episode of this series looking at the current state of strength and conditioning. Until then, I would like to say thank you for listening to Mastermind Strength and Conditioning Podcast. Have a great day.